0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leads Art Week.
1: Marketers constantly talk about knowing what your unfair advantage is. For small CPG manufacturers, which are often the driving force behind industry innovation, Turning that unfair advantage into a profitable business strategy takes a lot of work and quite a bit of finesse too.
2: As a small company, you need to double down on what you're good at. And so a lot of companies try to sometimes move too fast in wanting to have ideas across the board. And ideas are great, but you've got to be able to execute and build a program behind it and build a brand and build loyalty behind it before you try to explode nationally or explode across a number of categories.
1: Executing on these big ideas when you're a small business strapped for data can be near impossible. After all, how are you supposed to know what's working and what's not? That's where Andrew Kreises, Chief Strategy and Product Officer for Bizer, comes in. Bizer helps small and medium-sized businesses take action while making more data accessible to small CPG businesses. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Andrew explains some of the industry trends within the CPG space that data is helping to detect how they are helping SMBs identify that unfair advantage, and how data is helping companies not just understand consumer behavior, but market to their lifestyle. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account. Speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every-buyer.
0: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by a special guest. Andrew, how are you?
2: Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here and chat today.
0: Yeah. Great to have you on the show. Excited to chat about Bizer uh, and your background. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in marketing?
2: Yeah. So it's been a, an interesting path. I'll give you the the middle of the road take, not the long, not the short uh, story, um, but started my journey uh, going back from a study standpoint on a more technical track. So not marketing, right? I, I sat Near some marketing people, wasn't the marketing kid. And so started in engineering uh, at Tufts University in Boston, got into GE Aviation. There, engaged a lot more with the operations and sales of the business. Uh, And from there, I always had kind of a little bit of a side hustle and things going on and got then connected after about four or five years uh, at GE building Jet engines. So again, not necessarily marketing things, but technical and process oriented, made my way to Nielsen. Uh, so really kind of built my expertise around process, execution, took that to Nielsen and took what I'd learned from a digital standpoint, uh, from a physical and translated to a digital standpoint. Uh, and Nielsen is all about market research, um, all about data and insights. And we do that at absolute global level. Uh, so for me, that was kind of my path into the realm of market research uh, itself. But I first landed that transition from GE to Nielsen uh, by taking a job internationally. So kind of made made the ship. Sailed off to uh, Dubai and was in the Middle East and Africa for about two years. Great way to learn Nielsen from the inside out, Um, understand you know the basics, uh, you know the market segments, what's going on, the key trends underway, and just really understand emerging markets. From there, translated my time back to uh, the U.S. and uh, started to get more ingrained with our uh, U.S. marketing and sales teams and started building products for. Our internal teams, as well as external, um, all about our tech stack, our processes, ran sales operations, sales enablement for a small stint, then ran our North America marketing team, but really focused on our go-to-market strategy. And so kind of got a broad view and exposure to um, our US competitive landscape and some of our positioning tactics, did a ton with analytics. And through that time, also got into a bit more marketing with a uh, part-time Master's degree through Northwestern in predictive analytics. So kind of dabbled in the space of data and how you can use it for sales and marketing. Uh, ultimately, that led me down the path to take a role and jump into Visor, uh, which is a platform powered by Nielsen IQ that I'll sure I'll share more about with you. Uh, and that's where I'm the strategy officer, but work really closely with our, our marketing team. And we're really excited to basically provide insights to a lot of marketers out in the world. Um, specifically right now, we're focused on small, medium-sized businesses. And what we've just done, we think is you know, a game changer for the market. But uh, it's a quick you know, path of how I got into this realm of market research, dabbled in a, a marketing role or two here and there. And then now I'm helping the industry um, you know, gain some insights.
0: Yeah. So obviously, Nielsen has been you know, one of the, the leaders in insights for a long time. So tell me about Bizer.
2: So product just launched to the market uh, end of January. Uh, so it's new. But Basically, Nielsen. We knew we need to invest in an area and a need that we hadn't spent a ton of energy in the past, and that was small, medium-sized businesses. So, our traditional focus uh, prior to this had been, you know, in the large players, uh, large multinational companies and CPG firms, you know, that you're familiar with. And we realized through a bunch of you know insights and, and analytics within our own data that a lot of small and medium-sized businesses didn't have access to data. You know, were underserved but also didn't have an army of analysts. They didn't have data scientists who could comb through databases like, you know, a lot of standard Nielsen clients could do. And so we wanted to develop a product that would help the small guys win, right? Level the playing field ultimately. And so what we did is we took advantage of all the Nielsen data assets. Uh, We built a platform on top of that data that is super intuitive, allows you to see predictive Uh, Insights get alerts quickly into your inbox, allows you to run reports and gain understanding of performance and and promotion analysis and things like that uh, with just a couple clicks. So it's not something that's really hard to do. Uh, And then also deliver it in a digital, completely digitally native uh, platform, Uh, meaning you can go swipe a credit card tomorrow and, and, and get access to the Nielsen data and all at a price point that just simply works for the market. That small, you know, startups, mom and pops can afford all the way up to some larger brands. Uh, so that's how we kind of got down this path of launching Pfizer. Uh, it's been, you know, really fun. A couple months as we've gone to market, um, we've got a lot more coming.
0: Yeah. So, taking a step back, like, what is the type of insight that that Nielsen have? Like, who are your customers? How how do you th- how do you all think about that?
2: So we play in the CPG space, you know, consumer package goods space. And we look at our uh, kind of ecosystem around CPG. And so the big components are the retailers uh, and the manufacturers, all the brands that you're buying every day that are coming through your door. And so we engage and and sell and provide services and insights for retailers specifically. So how to optimize their shelf space, things like that, help them with understanding uh, the landscape um, and then we work also uh, very closely and you know, probably the majority of the business is with the actual manufacturing brands. And a number of other players outside of that or surrounding those two components within the ecosystem. Think about you know, financial firms and other companies, consulting firms um, that are looking at potentially acquisitions of brands, wanting to know more about what's taking place across these categories or trends in the, in the US. And so based on that, we're able to support those different entities with our data and insights. And then we also do a ton of research and insights into consumers. So consumer behavior, we have a number of panels and, and great survey capabilities that can get very targeted uh, within the US and serve up some, some insights.
0: So today we're going to talk a lot about the secrets to you know, humanized communications and creating perfect moments that, that stick with customers. Obviously, this is something that, that you know, you're focused on a ton right now. So let's let's start off with with the first piece here. What are some of the secrets to to getting some of those more human communications?
2: So some of the things that we're seeing across a number of our brands that we've helped with, I think, is is communicating in a way that is not about selling a product, but it's about selling a lifestyle. And so we're seeing a big shift in this trend where the lifestyle. You know, when you're if you look at some demographic data, or you look at um, millennials right? Um, minimalism being super key. We're seeing a lot of products be very transparent about their ingredients, communicate in a way that they're putting the label, which is typically you know, hidden in the back as far as what you're trying to market to your consumer as the front of your product um, and representing kind of a lifestyle behind it, whether that's something about clean products, something for the community, all of that is starting to show in the data. Um, and we're starting to see these trends where you know these smaller brands are, are driving double and triple digit growth because they are unique. They're understanding their consumer in a whole different way. And they're understanding that lifestyle and they're meeting that lifestyle and representing the lifestyle as a brand. And so that kind of marriage between the two of the consumer and that, you know, brand is what's driving the success. And then as a uh, buyer, as a platform, we're helping enable that connection and understand, you know, the performance and the insights around it.
0: Yeah. So when, when you're talking insights, like, can you give some examples?
2: Yeah. So I'll kind of give an example here with uh, it was a company I was just talking to last week. Uh, it's actually one of our trailblazers. So this company, uh, Serenity uh, Kids, it's a fantastic company. If you, if you haven't heard of them, check them out. Again, for those who have kids or, or young babies like I do, a, a 11-month-old, you might know about them, but it's a company that makes uh, uh, healthy uh, foods, so think pouches and puffs, but they're all you know, protein, healthy fats, organic, gluten-free. And this is a company that we've partnered with and we're helping give them insights in two main components. So they have you know, full access to our platform. The first set is gaining an understanding of what's taking place with their product and allowing them to gain some insights to help sell their story to increase distribution. So they're able to go into our product, understand their sales, uh, look at performance measures, distribution, their velocity, and compare their velocity to other competitive sets. They're able to rank you know, compare to those competitors and and how are they performing. And then based on that, they're able to build a a really smart sales story to go into retailers, explain why their brand is unique, why the lifestyle that you know the the millennial parents who are looking for healthier foods are trying to build and explain why they deserve more shelf space or they deserve a place on the shelf at at a local or national retailer. So that insight into understanding how they're performing comparisons to others and positioning is key for them to drive distribution gains. The second one that I was uh, talking to uh, this company about was access to our panel data. Uh, this is something huge in the market that we think is really disruptive in how we've launched Viser. We're enabling these small brands to get access to panel data that historically you know, they, they never had access to. And so from that, this company, Serenity Kids, was able to tease out that actually from a loyalty standpoint, because you're able to dig into household information, they have some of the most loyal customers compared to their competition. And they had no idea that they had that great of loyalty. And so that's something you know, they're going to be able to take to their investors. They're going to be able to take to their distributors and help tell the story and, and help them grow. And that's just key insights that you know, they wouldn't have otherwise that help them shape their roadmap.
0: That's fascinating. So that type of use case seems like you know for the traditional c p g folks who especially like you said are going through distributors that don't have like a very clear d to c arm you know i'm I'm just pulling something out of thin air, but you know comparing Gillette to you know when when Harry's razors was starting up, you know we've seen obviously the rise of these d to c brands that have a super close communication with their customers that are able to do those things, whereas obviously like Gillette is in Walmart and Target and a million other places where they don't get that, you know, information, they don't have a through line to their end consumer. Mm-hmm. Is is that just something that like, they just simply just don't have enough data about these things. And that's why they'd, they'd need to use, you know, a partner like Bizer?
2: Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, it's a lot of the small brands when you think about them. Whether you know they're primarily DTC, but they want to get into retail, right? They want to drive distribution.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly.
2: What we're seeing a lot of is is it's you know multiple channels. It's not about just one, and um, it's kind of having the component of both that is the most successful. But without some of these insights, they simply can't tell their story. So you might have a great DTC brand, you've got a following, but as soon as you show up to that meeting with a retailer. They're like, you know, show me the data. I want to see your performance. How are you comparing to other brands? Where are you in the category? And unless you know that information or know how to tell why you're different. And I think that's probably one of the most fundamental things with some of these small, medium-sized businesses, you know, they're they're innovating. They're coming up with new products. They may be in existing categories, disrupting that category, or they're even carving out entirely new categories. But to tell that story about why you're different why, you know, you're, you're certainly not in the top 10 or 20 right already. And so you're a small player in sales, but maybe your velocity, you know, your sales per distribution is fantastic. You know, for where you are in store, it's a great story. And so that enables you to get into some of these bigger chains and really grow nationally or grow in a way that you haven't been able to just, you know, from C or online.
0: Can I say also that your website is freaking sweet? I'm always, I always love a good website.
2: They're awesome. It's so good. So,
0: be, our listeners can check it out, b y z z e r.com. But, uh, and we'll link it up in the show notes.
2: Cool. And I'll have to relay that to our, uh, our marketing leader. She'll be ecstatic. And the fun thing with it, you know, Ian, is that site obviously put a lot of work into and we have constant iterations coming through. So, some great marketing effort went into it. But it also brings in for the first time in the industry, the ability to shop online. Um, so in our market research industry, it's typically you know a long conversation back and forth, but you could go directly into a card environment, experience the you know subscriptions and reports and insights that we have, and check out you know a couple minutes and that's just a complete game changer. So it's definitely a great positioning from a market standpoint. It's obviously standard in other industries, but in market research it's really new.
0: yeah, well and that's and that's you know. Obviously, the kind of like we mentioned at the top of the show, like everybody knows Nielsen, everybody, right? I mean, everybody in media, I guess not everybody, but everybody in marketing, we know Nielsen. And I feel like you just, there is a certain point where when you have a large company like that, that, you know, having a specific positioning and product and all that stuff can, can really feel lost. You know, small CPG manufacturers have, this opportunity now, like never before, mm-hmm. that they can really make a huge difference. And one of the, you know, legacy benefits of being a larger brand is that you're going to have more information, you're going to have more data, and and uh, so if you're smaller, you know, you need to have that.
2: Yep, exactly. And I think that just goes back to you know leveling the playing field, right? It's and I think it's also it's a benefit for consumers at the end of the day. If you think about you know yourself as an individual or family you know, the products that you want, um, the more companies out there that understand your needs, they tend to be small, innovative companies. Now, that doesn't mean that big brands can innovate. They certainly do. But it certainly shows that a lot of the new trends are coming from those smaller firms that are trying to show how they are differentiated, trying to do something different. You know, the anti-cruelty, you know, all the different plays uh, that you're seeing out there with clean ingredients, all that's a benefit to the consumer. And I think that comes from understanding what's out there, but then also being able to grow and really build to that consumer base so that, you know, you and I can enjoy it, you know, across the country.
0: So on the site, you have, uh, you know, you can get some free access. Um, You have uh, a pretty cool tool to do free brand alerts. How important is it to get Beiser in people's hands uh, to be able to use it?
2: Yeah, it's a good uh, question. So I think it's very important. You know, historically, the conversation of understanding your company, how you're placed into retail categories that you play in, is a very drawn out conversation. And in order to kind of facilitate that process, being able to put your hands and get a free, uh, you know, sign up for free, get some alerts. So we have these, um, you know, industry first alerts that give you insights direct to your, you know, email inbox. You can get them on your phone, you know, every Tuesday morning. On a weekly basis that are telling you what's going on with pricing or changing in distribution relative to competitors. So there are things that give you some quick insight for free. And so that we think is going to allow people to be much more confident in the capabilities of our platform, um, comfortable with understanding a little bit more about the data. And then two, we're also serving up within that kind of free package. Uh, We're giving them a free report which is, you know, first, every, everything you know, else in the world is pretty clamped down. Um, but we really want people to be comfortable in the tool. Um, and we think, you know, from seeing the report, understanding what they can get or getting a couple of visualizations within our platform, some of the basic insights, not everything, but just one quick view, um, it's really helping drive adoption and, and helping drive our sales.
0: Yeah. It's, it's so, it's so tough with like data tools or visualization or things like this, like, you know, getting something in their hands is, is often like, yeah, what, how much do you give? Right. Like what's the, what's the right um, ratio there?
2: Yeah. It's, it's been a fun balance for me, you know, from a product and pricing standpoint, you want to do enough where you're giving them a chance um, because I think they're, when I look at our, our buyers, um, we segment into, into a couple different buckets, and we have segmentations across the, the whole spectrum as far as size of companies. But as far as personas, you know, we, we come across an educated buyer and then potentially the uneducated buyer. And so the educated buyer, what I mean by that is they've been in this industry for a while. You know, Maybe they came from a large brand, a global national company, and they went and started you know, their own creative company or joined a startup. Um, that they're super passionate about. And so they know the value of having these data and insights to help drive the company and grow. Um, and then there's another you know, persona that we go after, which is someone who maybe hasn't purchased data before. You know, again, because you're a small company, if you're only doing a couple hundred thousand in revenue a year, or a couple million, you know, you're not necessarily gonna have probably spent a ton or, or had the experience before if, unless you've been in the industry. So part of that is kind of educating them and getting them really comfortable with the data and you know, allowing them to have a bridge into the platform. And so for them, I think that free uh, subscription model for a, a basis, a temporary basis with alerts and, and a report helps a lot. The ones who are more experienced from a persona standpoint see the value really quickly, you know, maybe jump on a, a quick conversation with us and are, are going right into the product pretty quickly.
0: I want to talk about the the in store presence and how you help people gain an in store presence. Many moons ago, on Marketing Trends, we we had a great episode uh, about cheese and uh, and we talked about how you know one of the things that uh, Francisco did was created this. uh, Gosh, I forget the exact thing, but basically, I think it was like a campaign for Fourth of July or something like that. It was like the best blue cheeseburger or something like that, where they took the cheese from the cheese section and put it in the meat section and kind of made it like, oh, this is the exact recipe that you would, you would get. And it just like, you know, flew off the shelf sort of a thing. I'm always fascinated by in-store presence. It's, it's something that like, I know very little about. We don't talk about it a ton on the show. What insights can help there? What's the action that, that people can take?
2: Yeah, for sure. In-store displays are, are huge, right? you think about it, if you're trying to get, especially for small, medium-sized brands, you know, you're trying to enter a new market or a new region and no one knows about you, doing an in-store display is a great way to bridge the gap and, and get your brand some presence and some footprint. So some of the insights that we provide is we do measure in-store displays. So we have a service within Nielsen uh, that goes out and measures that. We also have some third parties as well. Um, that do that for us. And so we're able to see, you know if you're driving a promotion or you're doing an in-store display or you know a two for one or something like that within the store, you can quickly get insights into what's working. And then we'll also we have teams uh, from an innovation standpoint and consulting arms that can give guidance you know on some of those ideas or concepts. you know if you're launching a new product in the market, what's the right way to do it. So I think it's a combination of one understanding what you're already doing looking and understanding the insights on, is it working? You know, what's the lift that you're getting off it? Are you getting a return on your investment? You know, super important. If you're going to run a um, in-store display, or if you're going to do something in a leaflet, or you're just going to drive a promotion for your product. And then from there, it's, you know, partnering for some innovative ideas on, on how to stand out and position yourself. Again, I see a lot of small brands uh, start this, uh, but then again, the last year, Displays weren't huge, right? Because of the pandemic and COVID, right? And so all of that kind of took a, a pause, but it is ramping back up. And so I think the in-store display is going to continue to be a great way to differentiate yourselves, a great way to quickly catch the eye of a consumer, and then be smart about where you're being placed. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a great tactic out there and something that you can get some insights on directly from within the Visor platform.
0: So going in a little bit more to some of the product stuff, you talked loyalty. Obviously, this is something every marketer wants to figure out who's loyal, <laughs> figure out if people are loyal, you know, make their product better, but also market loyalty. Like, you know, How do we tell stories about customer loyalty and things like that? What are some of the things that you all can do for loyalty?
2: Yeah. Uh, so it's, a, it's definitely an important space. And as I mentioned before, you know, something that a lot of brands out there just haven't been able to go too deep into. And so we have a US panel Um, that looks across several hundred thousand uh, homes and gives us a very representative view into what's taking place across, you know, all the different purchases. And so that gives us views into demographics, right? Who, um, what types of people are buying, what age groups, how often are they buying and what else is in their cart. And that allows us to get a very deep view into loyalty. So are, are those same households repeating those purchases of your brand, you know, the next time that they go to the shop, or are they trying a different brand? And so from that, we're able to report on some you know, great insights, uh, like I was mentioning with the company before Serenity Kids that had no idea that they had this loyalty and following that they, you know, that they actually had across the country. Um, you know, obviously, they're seeing it on the social side, but they're not sure about you know, repeat purchases and things like that. And so that insight can definitely be a game changer. And one, if you're, you're not getting the loyalty you need, then that's also very good input on in how to potentially go back to market right? Is it a change in product? Is it a way that you're positioning? Is it because you're not aligning to a lifestyle or, you know, something significant on what that consumer is truly needing? Um, And I think all of that helps feed into how you run your business. Uh, So within Visor, we provide access to that. It's a part of our standard packages, meaning when you subscribe to Visor and you go on the website and you purchase our starter package, our essentials package, we're not delineating saying, you know, that, getting your loyalty data is entirely separate. It's a separate cost. That's all built into the packages. Cause again, going back to, you know, our mission is to level the playing field and really help out, you know, all these small medium sized brands.
0: So can you go into like a little bit of the black box of Nielsen? Um, because I think like, I don't, I don't think I like, <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll go get, I'll go get the key.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, because I think like, I'm and I don't know what you can like share for this sort of stuff, but like, how do you all like get that information from the households?
2: So you know, at at a high level view, right? We have a large um, number of households, several hundred thousand, and we actually partner with another company on this. Um, What that means is that we have access to, and they are part of a agreement to basically record all of their purchases. Um, and that's across various platforms, but also all of the receipts that they're bringing in the door. And so they are documenting all of this information for us. We are auditing it, measuring it, looking for inconsistencies to see if there's any differences or things that are not normal, so from a QC standpoint. And then based on that panel size, um, we are able to represent the entire US. So we have it geographically spread out. It's demographically uh, accounted for. And so we're able to get to all those different segmentations with a heavy margin you know, uh, there to make sure that it's accurate. And based on that, we're able to report on sales you know, for brands. We're able to report on number of households that are repurchasing those same products. So that's, that's the, the best way, right? And it's the only way to go incredibly deep into understanding your consumer. You truly have to go all the way to them. You know the retail measurement is stops at the checkout, right? You know it's the scan, but actually going all the way and understanding what they're buying, you know, online, what they're buying in store, all of those receipts are critical, um, and you've got to go within the household to truly understand what's taking place. So it's it's not a um, a cheap endeavor, right? It's a huge investment that Nielsen makes every year to maintain this panel, um, ensure the quality of the data, but it's incredibly insightful for. Historically, you know, the big brands that get to take advantage of it, and uh, you know, now small brands can too.
0: So, and what are the households like? Do they get anything out of this? Or are they getting like gift card or something? Like, what's the what's the benefit? I'm just curious.
2: Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's nothing, you know, huge, right? Part of it is just being a family that is representative, and so I think there's an element there too. People want to be a Nielsen family. You know, it, it's surprising. I remember. Um, my family, uh, family-in-law, um, father-in-law got a, a call and then wanted to be a Nielsen family and was excited about it. So I think there's a certain amount of this that's like, at least within the US that people wanna be a part of these panels because they know it makes a difference. Historically, there have been you know, transactions, small monetary things here and there, but it's nothing that's like, you know, you're making uh, you know, a significant return on anything here. Um, in other countries, so we, we do have panels in other countries too. Um, they could be small tokens of appreciation, depending culturally, you know, it might be little gifts here and there to continue to appreciate the partnership, but it's, it's truly out of, you know, building the panel um, and people wanting to be a part of it and being diligent about it. Right. I think that's the most important thing.
0: Is there anything that surprised you from the information that you found, you know, when you're, when you're working with, with one of these companies about you know, either from the data or, or things that, that surprised them? I know you mentioned the loyalty piece is one of them, but.
2: Yeah, I think um, you know one of the things that's uh, surprised um, I'll go back to another one of our companies I worked with in our early days at Trailblazers, was just how spread out this, this one company works with us. They're across. I want to say 30 different retailers. They play in 10 different categories, but their sales aren't huge. And so as we're digging into the data, understanding just how spread out they really were, that they hadn't gone deep to build their brand. And that they were kind of just dabbling lightly in a bunch of categories. They were really spread thin. And I think that was just kind of an interesting aha moment about, you know, you really, as a small company, need to double down on what you're good at. And so a lot of companies try to be, I would say, sometimes move too fast and wanting to, you know, they have ideas uh, across the board and, and ideas are great, but you've got to be able to execute and build a program behind it and build a brand and build loyalty behind it before you try to you know, explode nationally or explode across a number of categories. Um, so one of these brands learned that they need to double down on their biggest bets. Um, and I think sometimes that's hard to do unless you have data because you think about, you know, if you're a founder or CEO, you're super passionate about your brand, you, know, you care about it, you love every aspect of your products and you don't want to give anything up. Um, but sometimes that's the right thing to do for the business, for your company and so that you can actually know, grow your following. And then once you've built a foundation in a proper way, um, you know, then you're able to expand to more stores or expand to more categories. Um, But that was one that I wasn't expecting, Um, you know, was to find some small companies that are succeeding, but struggling because they've grown too fast and too wide.
0: Yeah. There was one example, and I think we had it on this show um, and we might've, I think we might've pulled the section from it. But they had uh they had pushed into a new line of uh a, a clothing item that they'd never done before and I don't know if it went too well or or too poorly or whatever, but it ended up just creating a bunch of nightmares because it like wasn't their core offering and they ended up having to like slowly discontinue the the thing and I was kind of so curious I'm like how could that how could that be possible and they're like yeah, we just weren't really set up for like the sizing, yeah. the, you know, like if you're making I don't know, if you're making hats and you start making t-shirts, it's like none of their, you know, if you're if you're really good at making 500 different types of hats and now you have to make a t-shirt, uh the levels of complexity that go into that are are much more confusing than you might think. And I just thought it was such an interesting marketing yeah. case study because I'm like it seems like it's so easy to market that product. How could that not how, you know, people love, mm-hmm. you know, you have 4.9 out of five stars, you have all this stuff. How would it not work to launch a new new product with that? And there, it, it is actually the opposite.
2: Yeah. You can get spread thin really quickly and there's, there's quite a bit to it for sure.
0: Do you have some like some lessons or some tips for, for CPG marketers that are listening uh, in terms of things that, that they might want to, to add to their messaging or, or things that they should be looking at or, or any advice?
2: Yeah, for sure. I would say, you know, first and foremost, it's understand you know, your consumer. Understand them in a way and from a lifestyle level that you probably haven't done before. And so I would say, at the very least, use data. It doesn't have to be you know, Nielsen advisor. I mean, I want it to be, but any data. And so my biggest advice is just make sure you're using data to make decisions, that you're understanding the consumer with data, not making you know, decisions from you know, your hip but you're understanding how the consumer landscape is changing. You're seeing the lifestyle shifts, the trends in what ingredients, labels, et cetera, and how people are trying to live and go meet them there. And you can meet them there in multiple channels, but you've got to really live that representation. You can't just you know push an advertisement out that says, hey, we're organic, but that's all it is. And you're not really you know representing organic or, or trying to take it a step further. So I think understanding the consumer there is important. And then Based on that, as you build your products and you're launching your products to the market, super important to understand is what you're doing as a marketer working. Like just at the end of the day, you have to be able to demonstrate your ROI. You have to be able to show how your campaigns are working, and you have to be able to show how you know you're driving lift for the brand or you're gaining further access for the brand into new retailers. And that's where Visor, but also other you know, companies out there can help give you that insight, give you some of the research and findings, and then you know, essentially keep you ahead uh, of what's happening, and hopefully keep you ahead of you know your competitors, so you can continue to innovate. And then, as far as other you know components, when I think about overall industry trends for you know marketers and CPG, probably looking at your own numbers, huge growth over the last year. Obviously, a very tough time for all of us to be locked down. Uh, when it came to cbg you know categories we've seen you know, significant growth um, across the board almost every category grew 20% the last 12 months which is you know huge the classic ones right that you'd expect like hand sanitizer all those things grew you know 100 plus 100,000 or 1000% 1, plus but even things like you know refrigerated oat milk grew 150% and so it's important to think about one what's sustainable growth not just, you know, quick inflection from the last 12 months about, you know, that environment that we just lived through, but how do you sustain that growth? How do you connect to those individuals and then how do you stay on top of that, you know, campaign or strategy that you're pushing out and continue to measure and demonstrate your performance? That would kind of, you know, be my advice. At the end of the day, use data to help drive your decisions.
0: Great advice. You kind of have this this inflection point with with really all companies where you have the, your, your own data that you're getting, you have third-party data, you have vendor data, you have all this stuff. How, when you're working with someone on this, of, of kind of like sharing your information and your data versus what they're seeing, like, do those things ever like not meet up? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so, I mean, certainly, especially with some of the small brands, as I mentioned before, oftentimes engaging in DTC. So we're not covering that you know, direct consumer sales um, when we're looking at retail measurement specifically. And so that's one where as a brand, and, you know they're not expecting, but also that's sometimes part of the conversation where they're like, hey, why aren't I not seeing the sales? And, and part of it's because, well, you're not going through a retailer, right? It's, it's direct to the consumer, but we're able to pull all the insights for what is going through retail and help you combine that so that you get a total view of your company, right? And I think that's the key thing. The other thing that we've seen is some of those smaller brands who maybe have various channels that aren't fully you know, covered within retail, wanting to know though, what's happening in retail. So even though you might be a DTC brand, knowing what's going on with some of your competitors in retail is really important. Um, what trends are working, what is not working and who's getting distribution, um, who's driving big promotions and at what price are they driving those promotions? That's Intel that you want because you can reflect or make decisions based on that within your own website. But yeah, certainly that conversation comes up and I think the holy grail is having, you know, an entire view across the board and down the road from a roadmap standpoint, you know, we're going to have more capabilities in our platform to ingest data so that we can help give that total view. But at the very least, we're providing a lot of the insights for the retail side to combine then with DTC or other channels.
0: Any favorite campaigns that you've seen uh, CPG companies run either on your platform or, or, or off, or maybe just things that you've seen that you're, you're excited about?
2: Yeah. One, one category that uh, I feel like I've got a different product in our refrigerator every week <laughs> with, with my wife is different types of milk. Oh
0: yeah. Us too.
2: And it's, it's historically, right, was such a, a boring category, right? It was just, it's milk. It was, it was milk or chocolate milk and then skim milk or whatever it might be. And I, I literally feel like there's a different oat milk or you know cashew milk or something that's coming in literally every week. And I think that's one that's been really fun to see because um, I'll, I'll give a reference to a company that I mentioned before, Oatly. So oat milk has become really big. Uh, they've grown I think several hundred percent actually year over year, which are just huge numbers. And you know their campaign that I think has been really successful is. Uh, kind of making fun of milk saying, you know, milk is designed for cows. We've built a milk that is meant for humans. So like, here's your human milk. And so I think it just hits on that lifestyle. Um, Again, I always, I'm hitting on this word lifestyle a lot because I think it's critical from a marketing standpoint. You have to understand the health nature or lifestyle that your consumer is trying to live. And these different oat or, you know, nut based milks are meeting that need and they're, you know, winning in a huge way. So I've been, it's been fun to see some of those ads. It's been fun to help with some of those companies, you know, gain insights into what's working, what's not working. Uh, And then it's also great as a consumer, just to (laughs) have some different oat milks and things like that in the refrigerator that are, you know, fundamentally different than what I've had
0: before. I've said a thing, I think before on the podcast, but the, uh, I think it's Khalifa Farms, their, uh, their almond milk, where they do like the espresso, little espresso drinks, is maybe the most delicious thing i've ever tasted in my life (laughs) yeah there you go it's addictive too yeah we had to we had to ban it from my household uh for like a month because we're like (laughs) this is we're drinking like a gallon of this a a month we probably don't need 400 (laughs) shots of espresso yeah there you go no i'm with you most it is it is i mean this is why i mean sometimes it's just business is so amazing because it's just so cool like how categories and little micro categories can be created just like over look at hard seltzers. I mean, yep. it's just, it's amazing. Uh, oat milk, hard seltzers, all these things. There's, there's little edges around everything. Um, and, you know, literally billion dollar industries can get created overnight. It's, it's remarkable.
2: Yeah. And I'll even throw another one for you. Um, you know, I was mentioning before how, you know, alcohol or alcohol as, a, as an industry has grown significantly. You know, the last twelve months, and actually, alcohol has been the biggest driver of grocery sales. So they've helped drive the category up an additional nine percent for grocery, which is huge. But there's a huge shift to, you know, retake control from a wellness standpoint, right? Like, no more hangovers. <laughs> and so now there's a shift into, um, you know, non-alcoholic beer and non-alcoholic beverages, right? Because you kind of went to that self-serve phase, and it's still huge, and that's growing. Um, and that's a step healthier, right, than than drinking uh, a straight necessarily alcohol. But now you're seeing brands pop up like if you've heard the company Athletic Brewing, and they've had growth of about 400% year over year, which is a you know non-alcoholic beer that tastes great. You know, I think it's like now number four in North America, and so that's just an example of some of these brands that you know it's a traditional category, it's beer but you're doing something in a way by understanding a consumer that you've never understood before. And you're able to really kind of disrupt the market. And I think that's just super cool. But if you haven't tasted them, give them a try They're, they're pretty good.
0: Well, yeah. It's like those, those different, I haven't, and, and I'll check that out. What's the, do you know the website offhand?
2: Yeah. It should be uh, athletic brewing.
0: Cool. Yeah. It's one of those things. Like I, I always think about, you know, whether it's like cereal, you're seeing some new cereal brands pop up or, or different things where like taking something, that we like and just making it 50% less bad for us. Like not by like putting in fake sugars and all (laughs) that stuff, just like, Hey, could we do fruit loops? But like 25% sugar, like, you know, or, or whatever it is like, there's so many little things that you can find an angle and a niche. Right. And almost like write the marketing copy first and then create the product afterwards. Cause if you (laughs) gave me an ad for like, Hey Ian, do you want fruit loops? But with only 25% of the sugar, I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Let's go.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think something that's interesting is um, like some of those small trends you can start to see in the data um, pretty quickly, which is awesome. Meaning, you know, you've got the high level category of beer, right? It's not even going to be on a blip on, on the category initially, but if you filter in and, and look at various characteristics you know, of you know, non-alcoholic or gluten-free or things like that within you know, the Nielsen data, you can start to tease out what's coming down the line. And it's you know, as I mentioned before, it's generally some of these small brands and then you know, the big brands are, are jumping on the back when pretty quick or they're acquiring brands really fast. But yeah, I, I totally agree. There's a lot of these really cool, innovative companies that are trying something new or creating entirely different categories.
0: Do you still get the hangover from the athletic brewing uh <laughs> beers? That's the question.
2: <laughs> Luckily, no, you know, they taste like the great IPAs uh with no hangover the next day. So it's a win-win.
0: I'm I'm still worried. I'm 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 worried that you know you get some of the sugar going in there and you're still gonna feel the same way the next day. Um okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more lightning round questions. Andrew, are you ready? All right, let's do it. Number one, if you could have anyone on a podcast, anyone from history, who would it be? Oh, good
2: question. Anyone in history. All right, so I'll, I'll throw it out there. So back in my day, I was mentioning how I started out at, at GE, someone I looked up to I uh, didn't know, no interaction with, but always kind of thought of him as a um, fantastic leader, Jack Welsh, just really taught down the line, a whole world of leaders, you know, whether it's being a marketing leader, sales leader, whatever it may be. Um, I just felt like he was such a visionary and had such a great way to connect with people from everything I've heard of, and I've listened to his audiobooks and you know, all this stuff and seen lots of videos and recordings of him, super personable, very smart, very bright. I would want to you know, ask 100 questions to Jack. Obviously, he's passed away, but yeah, definitely something I'd want to pick his brain.
0: If you weren't in marketing at all, if you weren't in business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, I, I know exactly what I'd be doing.
2: <laughs> and if this gets too you know, much, at some point, I'll just jump for it. So I'm someone who loves to be on the water. If I'm not working, I'm trying to do some competitive racing, specifically in the sport of sailing. So I'm trying to race on the water, team sport, you know, typically four person boats. I dabble with it on the weekends when I have time. But if I had to drop everything, I would go to just be a coach, you know, coaching kids, the sport of of sailing, being on the water, you know, is really where my where my heart is.
0: Do you have a favorite book or podcast or, or TV show that you've been binging recently?
2: Yeah, um, definitely. So, book that's on you know my nightstand uh, that just picked up from a friend's recommendation last week is is called The Product Mindset. I'm only you know a couple, maybe like twenty or thirty pages into it, so I can't say it's the exactly what it what it'll tell, but so far, really good insight into product mindset being 100% focused on on the customer. It's not about the technology and all these other things. It's about truly understanding, like I was mentioning, your consumer or your customer. And I think that's just key regardless of what position you're in. So that's been a good read. And then I felt like I was the biggest binger of um, The Office on Netflix. I'm pretty sure I drove up most of their sales or their metrics from Nielsen. And now that it's off, I'm I'm struggling. I'm I'm, I'm kind of balancing between shows to binge on, but I I just miss The
0: Office. What's your best advice for a first-time chief strategy officer?
2: First time chief strategy officer. So yeah. <laughs> so for myself, my own advice uh, would be to do the hard work up front. Uh, what I mean by that is doing the hard work of digging deep into your market, understanding the segmentations, and not taking, you know, other legacy or others information as facts. So it's kind of do your own research. I think it's very easy to go into a, an executive position for the first time. And obviously you're going to get tons of opinions when you're in a strategy role or a product role. It's important to do your own research, make your own decisions, you know, take into account all of those other opinions, but you've got to do the hard work of actually trying to go gather data. And I think a lot of um, executives skip the path of gathering data and just listen to a bunch of different opinions and then make a decision and, you know, gathering 10 opinions and then picking one of them isn't a successful long-term strategy. So that would be my advice. Again, get the data and do the hard work.
0: Well, Andrew, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining the show. Any uh, any final thoughts? Anything? Well, everybody, check out byzzer. dot com. Uh, great website, as I mentioned. Uh, and also, if you're a CPG marketer, check out the the cool stuff. Tell your tell your counterparts on the data team, or if you don't have a data team, I guess.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would just echo that. Yeah. Checkoutvisor.com. out gave I'll give a little teaser here. We, as I mentioned before, we just launched uh, in January, really positive feedback in the marketplace, uh, but we've got some exciting stuff coming. We're, we're building out what we call some smart reports and smart alerts that are building recommendations directly into our dashboards and product. So as a marketer or someone who's trying to understand what they should be doing with pricing, uh, we're going to give you, based on some fantastic uh, models that we've built, Direct recommendations, so you don't have to spend all the time thinking about what you know. How much should you move up price? What should you be doing as far as distribution? We're giving you recommendations directly in the platform, and you know, at a price point that's just going to work for the market. So be on the lookout for that. Um, that's coming in a in a couple of weeks, and then beyond that, you know, we're going to have some incredible components around intelligence um, in a whole other way uh, with some bots and capabilities in the platform. So definitely check us out. Again, like I mentioned very easy-to-use platform, intuitive, and provides a ton of value.
0: Awesome. Andrew, thanks again. Awesome. Thanks, Ian.
1: Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction, automate engagement with each customer, and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.